Glad before we get started talking about our latest episode of HBO's Deadwood. You seem a little little tired. It's snowy outside. You might have been outside shoveling the two inches of snow we just got. I was wondering if you needed a bath, a nap, maybe some sex with an unfamiliar woman before we got started. Wes, there's no concern of yours, and I please ask you if you can let me go to hell the way that I want to. (laughs) In the arms of an unfamiliar woman, Clay. That's what we're talking about here, and that's where we're going to go. Face down on the dirty floor. (laughs) Face down in something. We're talking about Here Was a Man, which is the fourth episode of HBO's Deadwood. I can only hear that title said by Sam Elliott in um, The Big Lebowski. Mm Mm-hmm. Because when he's doing that voiceover and he gets like lost for a second and he's like, here's a man. And there, here was a man. <laughs> there was a man. Our uh, our theme song was done by a Sam Elliott impersonator. So, yeah, so we'll, we'll see. How many times can we reference Sam Elliott? Things it is Sam. You just said Sam Elliott, right? I'm not confusing. It is Sam Elliott. Is not, it's not Sam Neil, right? I'm not confused. No, it's Sam Elliott. No, yeah. I was actually. I meant to say Sam Waterson. Oh, it's <laughs> messing, it's messing all of us. <laughs> is Sam Waterson in <clears throat> Big Lebowski? No, he's not. Okay, just another just another Sam to keep things spicy. Yeah, just to keep you on on your toes. <laughs> Sammy. All right, let's get into Here Was a Man. Give us a second, though. we got to take a break as we uh, dismantle the titty corner and set up a poker table. You're listening to a podcast that is a lie agreed upon. Join Wes and Clay as they discuss HBO's Deadwood and tell you something pretty. This episode of Deadwood is called... Here was a man who was directed by Alan Taylor, who's an old HBO standby director, written by Elizabeth Sarnoff. In this episode, Wild Bill cleans out the foul-mouthed McCall at the poker table. The body of Brom Garrett is returned to Deadwood after his quote-unquote accident. Alma suspects foul play and enlists Doc Cochran to perform an examination of the body. Farnham makes an offer on her claim. Tolliver recruits Doc Cochran to take care of his whores. Alma begs Wild Bill to help solve Brom's murder. Wild Bill accepts a bribe from Swearingen, but enlists Bullock to review the Garrett gold claim. Andy Kramed falls ill in his room at the Bella Union. Joni Stubbs fetches Cochran to attend to him. McCall shoots Hickok in the back of the head. Bullock and Calamity Jane arrive at Nuttall Saloon to find that Wild Bill has been murdered. Spoiler alert. There's some <laughs> murder in this episode, but I assume everyone is caught up with us now and you're following along with the podcast. Um, to the... Probably the inciting incident episode, I guess, would be a way to describe this one. Every All the uh, groundwork has been laid. All the characters are here. And now things actually start kicking off uh, in wild fashion. So uh, what would you think, Clay? You want to lead us off? Yeah, it was good. Um, they kind of did that thing that uh, this was of, I had mentioned in previous episodes that there were three things that I remembered about the season. And we have reached the third one. <clears throat> um, again, something I forgot happened so early. Oh really? Um, yeah. How yeah. many how many seasons are I mean episodes are there in a season? 12. Okay, so it's not that early, I guess. Yeah. Um yeah, they did that thing that a lot of TV does nowadays, but I think it's one of the slyer versions of it where um the worst offender being like The Walking Dead where you've got 25 characters and then oh, all of a sudden we're doing an episode about this fucking guy. Yeah. And that only Why? means one thing. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's that he's dead by yeah. the end of it. <laughs> and they Same did with that Star here. Trek Discovery. Uh, that, yeah, that Discovery robot did it too. woman. Yeah. Yeah. They did that here, but uh, I didn't. F- it didn't stand out to me because I think Bill has been um, a piece of the puzzle up to this point in a way that that it felt like, oh, okay, finally we are we're we're focusing on him a bit more because he's kind of been a peripheral character, more of like just sort of uh, a looming presence. Yeah, the first and two so episodes, it, I think the last yeah. one and this one, he's been more prominent. It's like the. This one pairs him a little bit just by the third one was him at his nadir, I think, if I'm using that word correctly, his lowest point. And this is him sort of on a redemption arc for most of this episode. So it's kind of he he went somewhat startlingly from his very low point last episode to this point now where he feels a little bit more of a redemption case. Yeah. Um, And, uh, you know, most of the focus is on him here. And um, I, I really like the way that they characterize people in the show, or at least the the writing of how you get information about characters in the show, because you never really get like a long winded speech out of Bill, but I kind of feel like I know exactly what he's about. Yeah. Um, that scene with him and Charlie is pretty indicative of, of, of what his deal is. And uh, like, I, I think one of my favorite bits <clears throat> in the episode and I'm assuming this is what's happening, so maybe I'm reading this wrong, is when he goes to Al's place, and at the end, he he asks Al for a bribe, who clearly gives it to him, and then I'm assuming he uses that as the uh, the thing that reinforces the fact that Al's a piece of shit. <clears throat> so when he goes back to Oh, the, the reason, Alma, the, you mean the reason that he's getting the bribe is to... to- to say that Al's a piece of shit, basically. Yeah, so like he asks Al for a bribe, and yeah. Al says, oh yeah, sure, and he gives him the money, which tells Bill that this is the kind of guy who's willing to bribe people to keep their mouths shut, which means there's probably something going on here. Oh, interesting, okay. Which, maybe not true, I don't know, maybe he just wanted some cash, but I, yeah, that's, that's yeah. kind of how I took it, because the next scene with him is he goes back to Alma, and he's like, yeah, you these people are, you need to get out of here. Yep. Yeah, I I guess I have a little bit of a different read. I think what he's I think what he's doing at the end of that scene is that he is delaying Al's suspicion. He's trying to confuse him about what's oh, actually sure. going on. Yeah. That um, too. Yep. I'm Al Swearinger, Mr. Hickok. In the last few days, I've been locked in my room weeping, searching my memories as to where my path might have crossed yours previous and as to how I might have given offense that you stay in this camp not 50 feet from my joint and never once walk in. No poker. Is it that simple? Dan, dismantle the titty corner and set up a poker table. Not necessary, Mr. Swearingen. I always felt poker slows a joint's action. Been a liquor, pussy, and pharaoh man my entire fucking career, but certain people are due respect. This man, Garrett, who fell off the rocks, the Eastern dude, his widow's had an offer on his claim from that innkeeper sitting in the corner. But she's reluctant to sell until she understands what's behind it. Why have you asked me? She believes you'd know. Her husband came here with childish ideas. Bought himself a gold claim with me and on his broker. Claim pinches out, which will happen. But he can't take that like a man. Has to blame somebody. 
Sellers left camp, so he picks on me. Says he'll bring in the Pinkertons if I don't offer restitution. I got a healthy operation here, and I didn't build it, brooding on the right and wrong of things. And I do not need the Pinkertons descending like locusts. So I bend over for the tenderfoot cocksucker. Reconnoiter your claim fully, I say. And then, if you're still unhappy, I will give you your fucking money back. And the tenderfoot agrees. Just as he's finishing his reconnoiter, cocksucker falls to his death. Pure fucking accident. But up jumps the widow in righteous fucking indignation. Wants the doctor to examine him for murder wounds. My visions of locusts return. I see Pinkertons coming in swarms. So it's it's because Al in that scene, the his monologue before that, it, it it always strikes me as kind of interesting that Al realizes where he is and he admits in that speech to Bill that he is not on the up and up all the time. He says that I, I didn't build right. this enterprise brooding on the right and wrong of things. So right, he, right. he's, I really love that monologue because Al has like perfectly calibrated his lie to. Bill there, which is that he's mm. not totally lying about everything. He doesn't admit to killing Brom, but he he doesn't also try to portray himself as a totally innocent person. His rationale for why he doesn't want the Pinkertons is basically the truth that he tells to yeah. him. That he, like, yeah. He, yeah. That's what I really liked about it, too, is like, again, I we've come across this a few times where Al, even though he has uh, malicious intent is not necessarily lying to your face when he tells you why he's doing the things he's doing. Yeah. Like the way that he treats Bullock and Saul when they want to buy that place. He doesn't know who these guys are. And he makes total sense for him to ask that act that way, even though the reason he's acting that way is because, you know, he's he feels threatened by uh different things than he's claiming. Yep. And here, the recounting that he gives Bill uh, shy of, and then I had Dan kill the guy yeah. <laughs> is pretty much true and yeah. pretty much like b- understandable. He's like, yes. yeah, the guy came back. He said he wanted his money. I said, okay, if you go out there and you look through the whole thing, like you're supposed to, and you think that you find that there's nothing out there, I will give you your money back. And then he slipped and he fell and he's dead. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> so it's up all, and, up it's to all a point. true except for that one lie basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a big lie, but it's, yep. it's, it's the kind of thing where his story is verified. Well, as much as anything in Deadwood could be verifiable. Yes, but. there's there's not a lot of evidence gra- uh, 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 evidence determination in this. It's a lot a yeah. lot of going on your words. There's not much evidence, I guess, you could forensically derive. There's no CSI Deadwood, unfortunately. Yeah, which is why I thought it was really funny that Alma brings the body to the doctor, and she's like, "Can you tell if he was murdered?" He's like, "I don't fucking know." <laughs> I mean, He's, he bumped his head. Probably, yeah, probably yes, given the town, but I can't say that medically for sure. I love the uh, the Bill and Al scene. I think is is fantastic. Um, he does he does that thing too, where he lets Al he does what Al does to other people, where he shows up and he just doesn't really say anything, and then Al just starts talking at him. Yeah, well, I, it's it's less to the detriment like last episode where Al was sort of over talking at the Bella Union. Here, I think it's really a contrast of characters where Bill is a man of few words. I love the opening where Al has this flowery thing about like, I've been weeping in my room thinking when I crossed paths with you before to offend you so that you will right, be 50 yeah. feet away from my door and you don't come in for a drink. And while Bill just goes, no poker. <laughs> and it's it's this like... They're just so perfectly set against each other, which is that like Al will talk 
people into pretzels with his words and be very flowery yeah. with his language. And Bill just basically takes a shot of whiskey and says yes or no to questions. And that's the extent of his interaction with people. And it also shows he has more of a sense of humor than, than Bullock does. Yeah. You know, because that's the same disarming technique that he used on Bullock when he's like, don't shoot. Right. And then Bullock is like, what? I'm going to fucking kill you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Bill's a little um, savvier about that stuff and doesn't doesn't really get too too fired up um yeah i i love that scene just because i think it's the, i think al's um writing is really strong there i love the fact that yeah. everyone is watching him and <laughs> everyone's watching what's going on after that scene is over eb has that really hysterical line he's like even from a distance al watching you is a thing of beauty <laughs> yeah man all these guys are such shitheads like eb saying that and then the other guy the guy from the other saloon trying to explain to al why he kicked so why he i can't remember exactly what he's going on about but oh, no, i was talking about he, the appearance fee he doesn't he doesn't yes. yeah he doesn't know if he can yeah. get the appearance fee yeah yeah and he's and he's doing it he's trying to uh talk out his ass to al because what he's really looking for is to find out if if bill has an appearance fee yep. at the gym yep uh you know and they're all such gross snake-like people <laughs> this is a great eb episode um because you really get to see what kind of a little shit he is in this yep. episode and uh it's the one difference is he actually he does the same thing he did last time where he goes over al's helmet and uh lowballs alma and al actually considers it a win yeah. Until uh, at least until Alma says she's not going to sell. Yes. Yeah. He's, he 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 thinks um he's just sort of, I guess he's sort of impressed by EB's balls in that situation. And yeah. even though it doesn't end up working out for him, he, he he doesn't really have anywhere else that he can go with it. What's oh I was just going to say what's interesting about that interaction though is like Alma Alma's response like the thing that kind of sets her off is the fact that. EB comes back to try to buy the thing, buy the plot back so yep. quickly. Yeah. Um, but Al seems to think if if EB had offered her the entire amount, she would have been more uh, inclined to just take it and leave. Yes. But I feel like if 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 someone's coming back and offering you full price, it's more then suspicious. You'd be even more suspicious than like, well, what? Why is this guy? who was going to pay 16 now willing to pay 20. Yeah, I think Al is just banking on she will wash her hands of everything yeah. and get out of there while she yeah. can. I mean cuz cuz everyone Al Al has the opinion that everyone else in the show does that Alma should leave the town as soon as possible, so he just thinks that mm. that's probably the sweetest way to do it and to get out of this without having the uh, swarms of Pinkerton locusts descending on him. Um my favorite EB moment in this one is it's a, another example of his um, trait of picking on people with less power than him. When he talks to Alma after her husband is brought back and Alma's in the, the middle of the road in her like underwear, uh, her nightgown, basically looking at the body. And, and EB is asking if the doctor should come and see her. And she uh, sort of yells at him, tells him to get the doctor. And she walks off and he, he goes to the horse. And he goes, come on, stupid. <laughs> any any animal or human that evie can just uh get a little bit of power over is he's willing to do if he's been embarrassed by somebody else come on stupid yeah eb he's such a fascinating character because like a lot lots of people do this but i think he does it the most and the best in the show where 
he asks a question like there's information that he wants and he asks the question at the most inopportune time and tries to do it um cleverly in, like cleverly <laughs> but you know it's like like the the woman's the woman's husband has just been killed and she's like can you go get the doctor and his response isn't yeah absolutely because he wants to know why she wants yes, the doctor yeah, yeah. so she's like so he's like, do you need the doctor to like check on him or, and she's like, get the fucking doctor. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing yeah. where he's just one more thing. I just need to. Uh... Mrs. Garrett. Put a tragic turn. Do you require Dr. Cochran to treat your terrible grief? Yes. I would like to see the doctor. Of course. Who wouldn't? I'll get him right away. Ask him before he sees me, please, to examine my husband's injuries. I'd like his opinion on how they were sustained. I assume your husband died in a fall. All I asked you to do was to get the goddamn doctor. Of course, madam. It is the same with um, when he drops the body off at Doc Cochran's. He's like, who can say how this man fell? And then Cochran yeah, starts examining just... him. And he goes, what are you yes. looking at? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He's just standing over his shoulder, just talking at him and stuff. It's it's so good. He's yeah. he's great. I loved his outburst when he like has that little tantrum he throws yeah, his, at his Al. Fit. Yeah, yeah. That was really good. It's a, he convinces Al though. He's one of the yeah. few who manages to actually convince Al that he might be wrong about something. Um, yeah. I here is a man is a turning point episode for it. I suppose unless you're kind of. I mean, it was one of those things, I think I mentioned this in the introduction, that while Bill dies, um, you're in this weird area, gray area of spoil spoilers where, like, are historical events considered spoilers? Like, is that is that right, something inappropriate yeah. to bring up? Uh, but he does die, and he dies here. Um, in the most Red Dead Redemption-y of arcs, I think, I, I like this episode. I really like Bill as a character, and this one focuses mm-hmm. on him um, quite sharply. Um, he has sort of swung into a redemption arc for himself. It, it, it even starts with like his poker game has turned around, which is what it opens mm-hmm. on. He cleans out McCall at poker, which is another thing that sort of adds another reason that McCall is getting angry with him um, through the course of the series, or the, uh, building to this point in the series anyway. And um, generally, I think that this episode is kind of about when a society or a a town or whatever is trying to come together, there are forces that are threatening to tear everything apart around it. And Mm -hmm. in this one, you have two things that are happening. So the plague of smallpox has obviously arrived at the door, which is very, uh, is that what it is? I wasn't totally sure. That's what, yeah, he has smallpox cramed his smallpox, um, biblically appropriate and just time of the time of the, you know, human, civilization it makes sense for a smallpox to be around i don't know why well i I guess i know why but i just assumed it was an std of some kind (laughs) (laughs) he's he's getting real laid out by that std that's the worst uh, i didn't know if it was like syphilis or something (laughs) no late stage syphilis got smallpox i i didn't know i don't know why it hurts your back was my question i don't know what that is Mm. maybe it hurts your um liver or kidneys or something like that uh but outside of that it's bill it's the, it's the town sort of coming together at this point, and Bill is the central thing that he's like the prism that the town is starting to coming together around. So as Bill is uh, 
brought in to sort of solve this mystery about what happens to the gold mine and figure things out and make things right for Alma. He is interacting with the rest of the town in the way that he hasn't before, and he's kind of uniting everybody around him. And Mm -hmm. he's building something, and you get the sense that he is the kind of... What Bill represents is basically the best form of government that does not exist in Deadwood at all. Um, And it's sort of like this idealistic version of government, which is that he's the person who can take... Uh, care of the small man like the person who doesn't have any power can rely on the government in order to defend them and see the justice is done for them and everything uh, like that and that's kind of what I think Bill represents in this episode which is that he represents these things that these people have left and walked away from and gone to this new area of Deadwood and this episode is him showing like why you would want those things to be around and what the unifying power is behind that and like how uh, people can't get, just get trampled on by people like Al and that there's a sort of like system of justice and you're going to have your just desserts and someone's always looking out for you. And the camp set, suffers its first big setback with his sort of random murder just by a, a random lawless act by the uh, Jack McCall character. And why it's so devastating is because you kind of like you kind of see what's being formed is torn apart at, at the seams in that moment and that's why everyone is so devastated by losing Wild Bill. It's not just like losing a hero and stuff like that. It's about losing this kind of civilization that you're starting to realize is necessary for this town to get anywhere and not just be mm-hmm. under the heel of Swearingen and characters like him. Yeah, I feel like this show is all about taking one step forward and two steps back as mm-hmm. far as um, bringing civilization to the to the West, you know, American civilization anyway, to the West. Um, because you've got this place that is such a lawless shithole, and anytime somebody comes in that tries to gentrify it and bring it into polite society in any way, that person is just completely removed from the equation. Yep, yep. And uh, in in a in a way that just shows the worst of the town. Like I, it's <clears throat> it's um. I thought one of the more interesting images, because I wasn't totally tracking what it was supposed to mean, was as everybody's chasing down Jack, that one bandito guy rides into town holding a severed Indian head. Yep. And I was like, I I appreciate this from like a, a, a weird dreamy imagery standpoint, but I'm not really sure what this is supposed to be um, indicative of, if unless it's what you're talking about where it's like, you know, this is just another example of of the of the uh, savagery that's going on out there that that is not allowing um, civilization to to civilization's roots to to take hold out there. Yeah, I think it's it, so it ties into he's obviously bringing back the head to live up to the bounty that Al had said in the pilot, where Al said that oh. everyone gets fifty dollars for bringing every head of a Native American to me. Forgot about that. So yeah. it, it's a callback to that, but it's also I think. More thematically, it's about to show you, like, at the height of this, like, this is, it represents the chaos that's about to happen. Like, when you, when you have, when you have people like Al calling the shots, it's just murders and executions and getting paid for bounties as opposed to any yeah. sort of um, redemptive or restorative justice aspect that Bill was trying to represent. There was a, <laughs> there was a part of me when I was watching it, though, that it, it felt kind of like, this guy rides in with a Native American head, and he's like, "Look at what I did!" And nobody's paying attention. And he's like, "Hey, <laughs> hey, look what I did! Killed the whole what tribe." What do you mean? What's going on? No, he's uh, 
he's people aren't in the right. I, I guess he needs to just find out to get his fifty dollars too. That, that'd be the quickest thing to go about it. Yeah, it's um, I think it, it's a uh, it's it's a neatly structured episode. You get a you know you were saying that is kind of maybe not surprising or that they uh, they set up Bill's death quite well. On when you rewatch it and stuff, you notice like every scene with other characters that he has ends with them saying goodbye, Bill, to him. I was supposed to leave for Cheyenne two damn hours ago. What kept you, Charlie? You don't fucking sleep. I don't know what in the fuck is happening to you, Bill. So you stayed in camp to tuck me in? If you don't want to prospect, I can put you in charge of that mail route I'm getting. I'm doing what I want to do. Bullshit. Some goddamn time. Man's due to stop arguing with himself. Feeling he's twice the goddamn fool he knows he is. Because he can't be something he tries to be every goddamn day without once getting to dinner time and not fucking it up. I don't want to fight it no more. Understand me, Charlie. And I don't want you pissing in my ear about it. Can you let me go to hell the way I want to? Yeah. I can do that. It's pretty slyly structured in that... Um, when you know it's going to happen, the episode is basically him just tying up all of his character loose ends. Yeah, saying goodbye to everybody. Yep. Yeah, and and you know he even he's leaving things in in a it, he's uh, metaphorically and literally handing things off to Seth Bullock. Yep. Uh, and you know the scene with this, I think the most explicit one is the scene with Jane. That's the one that the most feels like it's just uh oh he's saying where she brings cause, where she brings the girl the girl's yeah, fever broke right it's like yeah when he's yeah. writing to his wife yeah, yeah. that yeah. that one feels the most like it's an explicit final final scene between these two yeah because he doesn't leave Charlie on good terms their final scene right. is is just that quote you were mentioning about the let me go to hell the way that I want to and Charlie says I can do that and they they separate from each other Jane's is a little bit happier and the Jane one is also nice because it, it is showing this sort of like it's not necessarily a down and out situation either in the episode. Like not everything is piling against them because there's a lot of restorative aspects of characters. Like the fever breaks for the little girl. Mm-hmm. She's better. Yeah. Alma decides to kick her opium habit and sort of re- regain herself that way. Mm-hmm. So even as things are falling apart, I, th- I think that the show consistently has this take of like people are different in different situations and like some people are up and some people are down and it's this melting pot of stuff that creates either forward progress or regression um so i think that like bill's bill's restoring of himself to being something that uh stands for something and can actually accomplish things only to be shot down is kind of like the uh the apex of showing that but i feel like a lot of other characters are also have on their way up uh as opposed to being down well, what's interesting to me is I wonder if he um, knows it's coming and lets it happen. Oh, yeah. I think Bill commits suicide by cop, basically. Yeah. 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 I think so, too. Because, I mean, uh, 
you know, the way that he walks in. He goes back to and, that bar, first of all. There's no reason to go back to the number 10 unless yeah. he, he, he only goes there because he knows Jack is there. He goes there, and when he comes in, the guy gets up and gives him the chair, which puts his back to the door, and he hesitates for a minute before he sits down. Yeah. Because he knows that's not a good place for him to be. Right. And then when Jack comes in, they do that close-up of him where he acknowledges that there's somebody behind him and he doesn't turn. Doesn't turn. He doesn't yeah. do anything, yeah. And in opposition to, he shot he shot uh, Ron Swanson early, right? Like, right, he, yeah. There was no even, there's no really good justification. Bullock had to lie to cover him up, but he, he saw, we've seen multiple examples of Bill C's threats coming to him, and this is the one time that he decides not to do anything about it. Yeah. I was bummed they didn't show the cards though. Isn't that the whole thing is that he was holding aces and eights and that's the dead man's hand? They do in the hand? next episode. I oh, think. they do. Yeah. Okay. All right. I think I think so. But yeah, aces and eights is the dead man's hand. Yeah. Um Yeah, and and he certainly dresses himself like he's going to be buried in that outfit. He, yeah, he, he puts does. on his yeah. his belt and he dresses himself up. He's wearing a very nicely pressed shirt underneath his vest when he shows up to gamble. Man. I don't know. I don't care who you are, Wild Bill or otherwise. I would not feel comfortable walking around with two guns just tied to my waist with <laughs> like a sash. <laughs> Hair triggers on those things too. Those are those. Yeah. Are, yep. I mean, they would. That shit would just keep falling off. Yep. And then now you look like an asshole because you're walking. You, you take a step off the off the porch, and then one of your guns falls into the mud, and then you're like, oh. oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I also one of my uh one of my underrated quotes in this episode is um Bill when Alma tries to hire Bill or she does hire Bill to go out and investigate Swearingen, he has the line, A true sounding's not guaranteed, but I'll try for a few of the bottom, which I think is like I just love that quote. I think that that's yeah, really that's excellent. Good. I'm answerable hereafter on different terms. I need to know what I'd be selling them. You don't believe the money's to keep the Pinkertons away. Why pay me? If it were a, a ransom to keep the Pinkertons off, why not pay Brom instead of killing him? It's this saloon operator you think is pulling the strings. Al Swearingen, it, it was certainly he manipulating Brom. A slimy, limey cocksucker. All right, ma'am. True sounding's not guaranteed, but I'll try for a feel of the bottom. This is also his, um, the famous thunder scene is in this episode. Uh, do you hear the sound? Do you know the sound of thunder? Uh, which also ties, we didn't mention it in the previous episode. Al foreshadows it by Al in a previous episode says that he's the kind of cocksucker who, when he sees lightning, readies for thunder. Mm. And so it's kind of, it's a nice little through line. Uh, they've just been referencing thunder endlessly, which I always interpret as, um, uh, imminent danger is the, the the metaphor that they're making there, which is that like, you know, I, I told your husband, but I didn't really hint at the the dangerousness of the situation that's coming for him. Yeah. And so I need you to understand that danger is coming, and thunder represents that. Obviously, may I ask, ma'am, when you'd expect to leave the camp? I'm not certain. Bullock is honorable, Mrs. Garrett. You can trust him to see to your interests. He couldn't come more either. You know the sound of thunder, don't you, Mrs. Garrett? Uh, of course. Can you imagine that sound if I ask you to? I can, Mr. Hickok. Your husband and me had this talk. 
and I told him to head home to avoid a dark result. But I didn't say it in thunder. Ma'am, listen to the thunder. Well, I can tell you what thunder they definitely heard, which is Seth fucking Bullock building a goddamn house at, night. at like 1 a.m. in the morning. <laughs> he didn't sleep either. It was all yeah, night I, long. I want to see it. I want to see that scene recut where instead of uh, Wild Bill or whoever comes up to him at night, it's someone from like the two doors down. He's like, hey, <laughs> what's uh, Bullock would what's just going on here? beat the shit out of that guy and leave him in a bloody pile and crucify him to the front of their Seth Bullock and uh, Saul hardware store i think <laughs> i like i like building at night it's quiet yeah it's supposed to be it's cool cool and quiet i know i, I was thinking that too because you don't really i guess you don't really get a good sense we haven't really established like where people live i guess a lot of people stay in the hotel but i don't really know where people live outside of that because there's no uh houses yet really it's all just the town like uh yeah. stores and things like that i i assume it's a lot of like tents and shit yeah you'd imagine tents out on the the gold mines and things like that but yeah Al, uh seth builds this thing i really like that scene too that's the the closest that they get uh seth gets the ability to call bill by his first name um i really love the moment where they're talking about something they're talking about the law that might be coming uh and there's no law in deadwood and bullock says i just settled for property rights and mm. and Bo- and Hickok gives him a look that's just like kind of like I don't believe you, you know that kind of mm. knowing, that knowing smile the the two marshal ex marshal lawmen kind of know that that's never going to be enough for someone like Bullock. Yeah, yeah, it's um, <clears throat> it's it's interesting to see the way that they're dropping Seth into all this, because it's not like they've they've kind of given him the reluctant hero arc. But I feel like it's it's been a bit more sly than it usually is. Yep. Where because he's never he's never it's not you know it's not like Tombstone right where all of a sudden Virgil Earp's got a star in his chest because some child almost got run over by a stagecoach or yep. something you know it's yep. <clears throat> he's a bit more uh it, it's uh, it's taking him a bit more to to get him into the situation obviously I'm assuming the death of Bill and and being uh, tasked with looking after Alma's claim is going to be uh, the thing that does it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, there's no, it says U S Marshall. <laughs> you tell all those other curs. Unfortunately, there's none of that. It's a different kind of show, I guess. Yeah. Bullock, um, <clears throat> Bullock doesn't do much here, I guess, except, except the job. He builds his, he builds his, uh, hardware store and then he accepts the job from Hickok and takes responsibility for looking after Alma. Um, doesn't have too much else. I don't think he does anything else in this one, really. Um, a lot of Alma. This is probably the most Alma we've ever gotten in the show. Yeah. Uh, a lot of focus on her, her sort of trying to get clean, dealing with her husband. You understand she explains why she uh, feels guilt for her husband's death, and you understand that their marriage was a marriage of financial necessity for her father. And oh, That's a shitty story. And before <laughs> before they came out, her father was very saying like, I can't believe that you have to go with him to that horrible place, which is Deadwood. And she says, maybe he'll die. Uh, mm-hmm. And then he actually does. So she does have some, she has the guilt that she's trying to work through there, which is the, where the opium, I suppose, comes in and everything prior to that. But yeah, it's a lot of Alma. Alma talks to Jane. The female uh, characters make contact with each other for the first time, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
Yeah. Anything else about Alma? Uh, I like her. I think she's she's inter- interesting character, and they they um they're clearly underestimating her. Al and uh, definitely Eb are underestimating her and what she's uh, capable of and willing to do. Um, well, she has to get clean first. Is the problem right? right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I, I I I like what they did there. Uh, I mean, I it's a, maybe it's a little over dramatic to have her just throw the bottle of opium against the wall yeah but uh it does it it does the trick i like the uh the reversal there where she's talking to doc about it too yeah. is is cute where al uh, doc can't admit to what he knows has happened because al would not be very happy with that so he has to kind of push your foot around it and she she has the great lines about like you were very forward with your diagnosis of my problems about what had happened but you can't seem to be speaking truth about what's happened here mm. and he gives her the opium to kind of pathetically uh placator and then she smashes it i guess yeah i guess the smashing is more out of just the anger that um it's all it, the reason it's there is so obvious at that point right yeah you know it's not for just the addiction aspect it's a uh control of her to make her more pliable to whatever swearingen and the the gem crew come up with yeah i do you, how long does it take for her to actually have a scene with al because they, they haven't actually met each other. No, right? they haven't met each other. Um, I don't know. I don't know when the first time they run into each other is. It could be next episode, but I feel like it's not for a little while that they won't uh, mm-hmm. talk. Although maybe they, maybe they will talk sooner just because of um, to sort out the 20,000 at this point. I imagine that could happen kind of quickly. Mm. Um, and then the last one, the gem crew gets Andy Kramed. Andy Kramed, I guess is how you would say his name. Um which is you you were talking about the show lays out characters pretty well and you get to know everybody i i do feel the show occasionally goes a little bit too subtle in that i have no idea what andy kramed and Joni stubbs and cy tolliver's relationship is or what it's supposed to be with each other yeah yeah that one i'm not sure about i don't i i didn't know if they were just buddies or if he was supposed to be like a, a ringer or something Yep. For the games. I'm I don't know not, why they pretend to not know each other for about three minutes at the start, and then they round I, the corner, and they're like, all right, it's you again. And, oh, you know. I just assumed that they were playing a game, you know? Just the two of them are just joking around with each other? Yeah. Okay, that, yeah. that might make sense. I mean, who knows? I could be wrong. But, but it's, it's, always, it's weird because they give up the game when they round the, like the, uh, the payout counter, but it's not yeah. like that's a sealed room that they've walked into or anything. Like Everyone can hear what they're talking about as soon as they round that corner. Right, right. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm unclear because, uh, and also, like in my opinion, I think that Joni Stubbs is probably the worst performance, at least this early in the show. Oh, you think? I like her. I think she's good. No, I, I don't. I, I, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get from her intonations towards Andy in this one because it reads almost as if they have a relationship with each other. That's something mm-hmm. beyond friendship. But uh, I think that the actress's line readings make it. It's hard to determine what's going on between them, I think. And I'm not sure if it ever really reconciles because it's not super important to the plot. But I don't know if you learn more about them later on. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, And then he gets smallpox and he's 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 badly ill uh which is the second sort of plague but we haven't we didn't have the reverend in this episode either oh yeah i didn't notice that but yeah yeah and um smallpox is obviously devastating although i don't know how smallpox spreads is it 
respiratory or do you have to touch the sick people? I, I assume, well, I mean, you know, the classic thing is blankets. So I'm assuming it's touching some sort of, you can get it from touching. Yeah. And she does. Oh, she takes up. Hold, hold on one second. Caitlin. Yes. How do you get smallpox? How does one get the smallpox? I imagine it's the, uh, the pustules. It, it, how does it spread? Do you know? You can say how smallpox spreads. Just so we know, smallpox patients become contagious once the first sores appear in their mouth and throat. They spread when they cough or sneeze and droplets spread to other people. Okay. Yeah, she said mucous membranes. Yeah, so it's just in their, in their spit and everything. Smallpox is spread through prolonged face-to-face contact via droplets expelled from the mouth. And can also be transmitted through contact with smallpox, pustules, or scabs. So, not a good thing to have, obviously. If uh, we have any more uh, old Western uh, illnesses, uh, illness questions, let me know, and I'll yell them over to my girlfriend again. <laughs> um, anything else in this one? Uh, let's see. I don't know. Did you have anything? Any any thoughts about um, anything else stuck out for you in this one? Any lines of dialogue? I I feel that this one was um maybe not as quintessentially quotable. I mean, the thunder yeah. line is very quotable. Uh, some of Bill's lines are very funny, and I like Al's monologue in the bar when he's talking to Bill. But um, other things don't really feel, <laughs> feel that way, as, as, unless when you're. Uh, you want the reference like when you get incredibly frustrated and you start fucking your banister on the stairs <laughs> above you and then just go, I gotta fuck something. Trixie! <laughs> Sooner the cocksucker was dead, simplify work in the widow. We don't get to choose the world we live in. Bella Union cocksuckers to worry about and every other damn thing. You got a full plate. I need to fuck something. Trixie! He's very frustrated. You'd be surprised how often that line doesn't go over at work. <laughs> His dismount off a of Trixie after he busts too is just a, <laughs> it's like a, a 10 out of 10 on the Olympic scale when he pops off there and has a, has a little bottle. Yeah, it's like it just propelled him backwards, <laughs> like in uh, like a reverse of that scene in Scary Movie. Yep. And just uh, the, the female... Uh, Actors or the the actresses, I guess, uh, went the whole nine yards, and they all agreed to not shave their armpits. So you'll notice that if you are paying uh, close attention. Yeah. yeah, true to form. True to form. Any memorable quotes for you? No, I I, I think this one was lighter than most, um, or lighter than the ones we've had so far. Like there's good, there's great dialogue, but it's not. Yeah, it's not as quotable as as some of the other ones have been. Yeah. I, wonder, I don't know why that is. I mean, the, the scripts are hard to tell because apparently Elizabeth Sarnoff, who's one of the writers, wrote this, but it doesn't really mean anything in terms of my understanding of how production works on this one. So uh, the Thunder thing obviously feels like a milch line. Um, he doesn't. There's no Wild Bill antagonistic scenes towards Jack, really, so you don't get any of that. Um, I, I like the one small scene that I really like is uh, when Jack goes into the... Well, here's one question for you that I've never been able to figure out. Why does Jack have a new suit? Is is that so he can gamble in the Bella Union? Oh, I don't know. Because he buys it prior to this episode. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that sort of links up is that Bill in the last episode gave him a dollar to buy some food. 
But he can't possibly afford a, well, that, a new suit well, on a dollar, right? Wasn't that this episode? Oh, that's this episode. So never mind. So he has the suit before that happens even. So that doesn't even matter. Yeah. 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 If I had to assume, it's probably he sees Bill go to the fancy place. And so he's trying to... Copy trying him a little to, bit. Yeah. Prove that he's he can kick shit with... Uh, Bill, no matter where he goes. I was wondering and if so they'd even gonna... let you in if you weren't dressed up nicely <clears throat> into the Bella Union. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, it's I, I, I think it's I think it's a nice image though because they have this new suit that still has a he doesn't even realize have a ta- has a tag on it. Yeah, but from the <laughs> from the neck up, he still just looks like he pulled his face out of a toilet. Yeah, I, I love that. He's got shit all over his hat. So. <laughs> when he goes back to the when he goes back to the um. Trying to steal his thunder reminds me of uh, when he goes back to that Nuttall number 10 saloon and he's talking to the two guys who are playing solitaire very funnily. And um, yes. he he says he tries to steal and uh, co-op the Wild Bill, your mouth looks like a cunt line, but he fucks right. it up when yeah. he's talking yeah. to the other guys and they're just laughing at him. Uh, that, that scene ends with that. Uh, when he walks out, that guy has a great line about he too is God's handiwork. Um, but they try to buy the, I I just like all the foreshadowing there. Like the, in the opening scene, when, when Bill gives him the dollar and says, go get some food, Jack's response is, thank you for your kindness. You just bought yourself something with that. Right. Yeah. Which is great. And then in the Nuttall saloon, the number 10, Jack is threatening to do something, but he's always been so sort of full of this body talk. And so the other guys attempt to disarm him as an attempt to buy his gun from him. And he doesn't sell. He says no. He, he, he says something funny. He goes like, "I said never. I said no." And then he walks and walks <laughs> out the door. Um, but there's a lot of there's a lot of great foreshadowing there. Um, and then the final Jack scene that's interesting is just to just before he kills Hickok to remind you that he's a piece of shit. They see him ordering food at the um, American food stand, which is the Chinese yes. the Chinese food stand has a sign that says American food on it, uh, yes. and it's clearly not. And he's being very. Uh, very xenophobic, as they say, dealing with the the Asian uh, storekeeper. Oh yeah, yeah, he goes all the way. He even does the the eye thing. Yeah, it says meow, but he which is hilarious because he only does one eye. Yes, he can't. His prosthetic <laughs> won't allow the other one to happen. I don't think. Um, and then the most dreamy sequence is his escape, where they have that sort of twangly guitar music over slow yeah. motion, and uh, he runs off. I guess. It was a total accident that the saddle fell off the horse. That apparently wasn't supposed to happen. They just didn't uh, oh, attach really? it right, and so they they oh. rolled with it and they went with that take where he fell off. Hmm. I was I found myself wondering if uh, they paid the guy who plays Brom to show up for this episode to play a dead body, or if they just used a uh, stuntman. Looked like his head. Looked like his it hair. It did. There's yeah. a couple close ups that look like it was him. Yeah, it's a hard day's work just <laughs> laying on the horse like that. I, I don't know. Uh, he's credited, I think, in this one. Hmm. I think at the start. Oh, I think they dropped him off and because um, they didn't add Powers Booth's name until Powers Booth actually showed up in the show. So I think they're conscious of that kind of stuff. Uh, any final thoughts about Jack and the the murder of Wild Bill? Any deep reasons for why he's doing this? Uh, no, I think he's just a deeply insecure person. Um, who, uh, yeah, he was bested by someone he, that he didn't have respect for, but is also insanely jealous of. And, you know, unfortunately, 
many times in stories, there's only one way those characters deal with these things, and it is through violence. Yeah. Yeah. Damn you. Um, yeah, I, I think that's what it is. It's basically just a, a miserable person who is sort of wallowing in their misery and taking it out on Bill. Thinks that the world kind of thinks that Jack Jack's probably the kind of person who thinks that the world is out to get him. Um, yeah. He is not extremely intelligent, smart enough to get himself in trouble. Tolliver has that great line about like some fools just have to walk up to a cliff and jump off. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, he's uh, I. Garrett Dillhunt's performance is terrific. I really love his scenes with Bill. I think that he did he did that well, and he's a uh, just such a he's a wonderful actor. But he will be um, returning to the show in the future sense too. He, um, yeah, he's really great. I I don't really know if he's quite broken through the way that he probably should have. Um. Because I, I know we talked about this in one of the earlier episodes, but like he pops up and stuff all the time. Like I actually just uh, I'm I'm in the middle of watching Dead to Me, and he shows up in the third season as an FBI agent in Dead to Me. Yeah, and uh, yeah, he's always he's always really good, um, but he has not quite had like what what I what I consider like a, a breakout role. No, he's a great ca- great character actor. Yeah, though. a character actor. I, I always remember him from. Um He's Tommy Lee Jones's deputy in No Country for Old Men. Oh, sure. Yeah. 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 Um, he plays a great sort of uh, lateral um, mirror-type version of this character in The Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yep. He play, it's another sort of like dim-witted cowboy character. <laughs> he does. He isn't a lot of Westerns. Yeah. Jack fucking hot. That's what I held. I bet every fucking cent. Miracle to me is you you sit here bragging about it. I ain't bragging or braggart or blowhard. I state a fact. I live by fact. Anyways, it's over. And you believe that because you're a walking fucking cunt. With your cunt and your eye moving. No matter how your day's gone, Jack, you're always fun to talk to. Um... Yeah, so I guess just to sort of wrap the one this one up, it's um you know, I, I think thematically you get a good sense of in in order to stay in power, right, Al has to not allow uh unions to be formed, right? So like the 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 power of Al comes from the fact that the camp is in disarray and he is able to Uh, stay on top of things and sort of take advantage of the fact that no one really has anyone else that they can rely on to upset the apple cart and the things Mm -hmm. that he set up. And Bill comes into this episode as the antithesis of that. It's the one thing that Bill, you know, Al has been fearing Bill this entire season so far. Every time he's, he's actually been under the misunderstanding that Bill is out to get him and that everything is working against him. Right. And, And that's what Al is really, thriving in is that he can't allow things to work against him. He can't allow these unions or these partnerships to uh, come before him because if they do, there's a good chance that it'll knock him off the pedestal. And so Al is functioning early in the season as a kind of anti-society force, and he's the the, the evil that would prevent a community from being formed. And Bill in this episode stands up to that for as much as he can. 
Um, he's not taken down by Al, of all people, even though Al threatens to kill him in this episode and thinks that that would be the best way to go forward. He's taken out just by yet another one of these Deadwood things, which is that a lot of stuff just seems to be hands of fate being dealt to characters. It's yeah. just weird tertiary connections that cause a ripple effect that move on and how how life is unpredictable and you can't really understand how things are going to uh, work out. Milt has the quote about, tell God your plans. If you want to hear God laugh, you tell him your plans. Um, and I think Deadwood exemplifies that. So even as Deadwood is coming together with Bill and his redemption arc, it falls apart due to just random chance and Al gets to survive for another day and everyone else has to pick up the pieces. Yeah, I do really like the way the show establishes all their stories um but make sure has made sure to show you that the consequences of one affect all the other ones yeah because i think it would be very easy to do this where these things even though you're in one tall small town where these things kind of exist in a vacuum to a certain extent um so it's nice to see that no one's really friendly early you know like it takes a long time for characters to meet each other too yeah, and still, you know, like I said, Alma and Al have never had a scene together, but her the the story about her husband and the gold claim has crossed paths with uh, Buffalo Bill, um, Wild Bill. And, sorry, <laughs> Wild Bill. Yeah, excuse me. We were, we were he, he gets skin. shot in the next season. <laughs> uh, Are you a great big fat woman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know her her story crosses paths with wild bill and so wild bill's death affects her as much as it affects al and that's gonna lead to seth's involvement with both of them and so i think it's just really well constructed um and they're very conscious of how all of these things are pushing and pulling against all the other things yeah it's an interesting um it's a neat take on relationships with each other. I I feel that the show really has a strong understanding of how the characters know each other and how they would talk to each other. There's not a lot of like the, the characters really only interact with the people that they know. And when you think about it, they don't really know each other all that well at this point. Mm -hmm. Like they, um, a lot of the times the characters don't refer to each other by their name. They just refer to each other by their job. Like they call EB the innkeeper a lot, mostly because they don't, They don't know him enough to be like, oh, it's Farnham gone off to do something. Uh, so there's, they're very unsubstantial relationships with each other, which is what you know ties back to what I was talking before. Bill, Bill was kind of broaching all of that and causing people to work together, and that was his role there. Yeah, but he still calls him Montana. He he does. He he asks him if that's okay though, and then they're seen yeah, together. That's if that's okay to call him that nickname. <laughs> <laughs> Only other nickname was Sloth. I, yeah. <laughs> and Bill was that called stuff, Kite for some reason. I don't know what Kite means. Yeah. I don't know. I, I At first, I thought he said a, a different yes, word. Yes, and I, I thought- was like, oh. And then he did the hand thing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> there's a T in there. Saul Star pipes up and says, hey. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> hey. They'll get the Sioux making peace. Pretty quick, you'll have laws here and every other damn thing. I'll just settle for property rights. Will you? I'm recently married myself. Is that so? The missus operates a circus. She's in Cincinnati, waiting for word of my success. Saul and I put our last sifting cradle aside for you. Why don't you go ahead and use it, Bill? What slows me down is thinking about freezing my balls off in a creek. 
for the cocksuckers I'd lose the gold to at poker. I'm flat out tired. Turn in. I got her covered. I believe I will. Night, Montana. Night, Bill. My pop called me Kite. The nickname thing is so strange to me because it's like, I can't imagine that happening in real life. Like if, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm trying to think like if I, if I met someone and they were just like, I'm going to call you Boston from now on. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, Hey Boston. I'd be like, D- just call me Clay. I, I, <laughs> well, I mean, take it from this perspective. What if it was the, uh, you know, forgive my ignorance, but the guy who uh, created Batman and he met you and he was like, hey, Oh, Bob I'm, Kane. Yeah. If it was Bob Kane, he's yeah. like, Clay, I'm going to call you Boston from now on. Would you be like, fuck you old man? How dare you? I think you'd. Oh yeah, I would. Cause Bob <laughs> Kane's a piece of shit. <laughs> well, there you go. He's not out there building communities. Unfortunately, I would say you can call me, you can call me Boston when you give Bill Finger appropriate credit for his <laughs> contributions to the creation of Batman. <laughs> well, it will assemble his titty corner. And give him credit in the corner there. He did he did a thing one time where when the movie was coming out, the Batman movie was coming out, mm-hmm. where he was like he did like a new drawing that they were showing off or like auctioning off or something that yep. was like straight up traced from a Todd McFarlane drawing. Oh really? Nice. <laughs> it's like Bob, <laughs> you have never drawn like one of these guys from the from the late eighties. Mm-hmm. Why we why would you haven't drawn anything in 50 years. Why would we believe you now? Sorry, this is a whole other show. No, it's Talk, fine. Come, come listen to uh, the Badass Podcast to hear about Bob Kane rants. Bob Kane. Bob Kane didn't know it was coming. Is he still alive? No, he's been dead for a long time. Yeah, okay. That makes more sense. Um, Let's see. I've inserted all the quotes. Everything that everything people give Stan Lee shit about, like the the more, I should say, the less uh, uh, generous people, mm-hmm. um, as far as Stan Lee's contributions to comics history, everything they say about Stan Lee is true about Bob Kane, but not true about Stan Lee. Uh, debatable. Yeah, I see. More well, gr- more gray area there. They're both dead. It's it's yes. Just, it's it's time to move on, everyone. This credit <laughs> credit goes where credits do, although. I mean, maybe I was trying to. I was trying to see if I could tie in some kind of E.B. Farnham asking for twelve thousand <laughs> when I when I should have gone to twenty, but I couldn't do it. I don't think. I guess we're done. That was here was a man. Bill Hickok is dead. We'll see where things stand. Calamity Jane is drinking again. The child's fever has broken. She chugs that bottle. Yeah, I, I, I almost impressive. think it's too much. Yeah, I, I, I think that it might actually be too much. I don't. I don't know if a human could actually do that. It's it's a like, lot. It, it burns so much, like your throat is just going to close up. And yeah. You're just going to vomit all over yourself. <laughs> your body knows it's no good even before it gets to your belly, and it says you, yeah. shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing things like this. Um, yeah. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, we'll keep going, recording more of these Deadwoods. The only thing that slows me down is thinking about freezing my balls off in a creek while doing it. But we will continue 
Moving on through the rest of these episodes of Deadwood. The next one is The Trial of Jack McCall. Thanks, everybody, for listening. If you want to support the show at patreon.com slash the Penske file, that's the best way to do it. A couple bucks a month. You tell me the figure. What shall I pay you, Mr. Hickok? I prefer you pick the figure. Is $100 enough? Perfect. I, j- I love that you can quote Deadwood the way that, like, people 50 years ago could quote Shakespeare. <laughs> like, remember that period of time where everybody just had a bunch of Shakespeare quotes that they knew and they could be like, ah, yes, Henry V, <laughs> stanza five, you know, or whatever, from the first folio. <laughs> but now nobody knows that shit anymore, except you. You know Deadwood, and I appreciate it. It's so good. It's so good. You tell me the figure. And he agrees to it. He says, perfect. Um. And just to be clear, I, I, that's one of those things I always miss. He gives all the money to Bullock in that scene. Um, right, yeah. yeah just, I, I always get a little bit confused because I think, um, you know, you were, you were talking about more like the confusion of like what he, Bill is trying to determine from Al when he, does, when he takes the bribe. But uh, I think it's also sometimes a little bit confusing to understand where all the money is going that he's collecting throughout, throughout mm. the day. And it all goes to Bullock at the end. I'm just I I like I like thinking about this alternate history where you're on the writing staff of Star Trek and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they're like Wes are all these titles Deadwood quotes? <laughs> you tell me the figure, Brandon. <laughs> Brandon, I, I'd actually use the your mouth looks like a cunt line. I think uh, as, as we're in season four of Enterprise and I just like Brandon. The, the title the title of the pilot is just that entire run. <laughs> from wild bill uh wes first of all this is a much title's much too long second of all i we have some thoughts upn has sensors that are not going to be happy with it yeah well uh thanks everybody for listening patreon.com slash the penske file place to support the show all the other shows are on the penske file.com playing a man to have the horror show clay and sean have the batman show we have the star trek show and this is Deadwood continuing. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we get the hell out of here? No, uh, check out our Patreon coverage of Video Nasties this year. Amanda and I, uh, January was uh, Tenebrae, the Dario mm-hmm. Argento movie. Apparently, Giallo January is a thing that people are trying to get started. I've noticed it the past couple of years where either people are watching Giallo movies or a lot of like uh, repertory theaters are running multiple giallos in january which you know i'm all for Mm because i think those movies are really cool i like seeing them in the theater even i haven't seen enough of them but uh uh, we just happened to end up doing january was tenebrae which is one of uh, argento's more famous giallo films so check it out yeah it's a patreon everything's on patreon thanks everybody rate the show if you haven't done that yet on apple it matters in the smallest of amounts but it does matter i suppose in the long term um that's it We'll be back with The Trial of Jack McCall as our next episode. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Let us know what you thought about the show. However you can, join the Discord. You can talk about it there. All right, so thanks very much for listening. We will see you later.